Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I'm just trying to change people's mind. But I've always felt like I've had some obstacles. Like when I was on Workaholics, you know, on Comedy Central, I never was able to get a half hour till like four or five seasons in. You know, and I always thought, God, I'm not going to get a half hour special. Why am I not? I'm on your show. I'm on your network. So I was like, somebody doesn't like me. That's how I always looked at it. I was like, well, is there somebody there that doesn't think I'm funny? So, and, I, and this business is a matter of preference. You know, you're a manager. It's a matter of preference. You may not. So what? I don't think this person's funny. And then it's your preference. So the same thing with a network. A network is just like a comedy club. There's a booker and an owner, and that person has to think you're funny. So whoever's in charge of that, they just maybe didn't think I was good enough, and I just looked at it like that, and I was like, well, I have to just prove that person wrong. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. Very excited about today and this week's guest, Eric Griffin. This guy is incredible. You're going to love his story. You're going to love him. So inspirational. Before I get started, I wanted to thank you guys so much for everything you've done for the podcast. Without you guys, we are nothing. And I just want to let you know, big news for the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, which we have been invited to for the third time in five years, all because of you, not because of me, because of you guys and what you've done for this show. And I really appreciate it. Those of you who've listened in the past, thank you. Those newcomers, thanks for coming. And so Montreal, everybody, my special guest for my live podcast Friday, July 27th at 1.30 p.m. at the Hyatt Regency in front of a live audience. You can get your tickets at hahaha.com, type in industry standard, and my special guest will be Kenya Barris, the creator and executive producer of Blackish. Really, really excited about it. It should prove to be incredible and a lot of fun for all that attend. I hope you can make it if you're out there in Montreal. 
And if you're in Boston later on in the summer, the first week of September, I'm at the Boston Comedy Festival. You can go on their website. You can check it out and get tickets for that with a very special guest, which shall be announced soon. I look forward to seeing you there. And for those comics out there as well, going to be doing some special workshops as well. So it should be a lot of fun. So without further ado, it shall be important for me to introduce our guest today. And I know... This is going to be the start of a really, really fun and special time. So here we go. Eric Griffin is a towering force of comedy and is most recognizable as the mustachioed Montez Walker on seven seasons of the hit comedy central series Workaholics. Griffin currently stars as the series regular in Showtime's dark comedy series I'm Dying Up Here, which returned for a second season on May 6th of this year. The show, which is a fictionalized series set in the celebrated yet infamous L.A. stand-up comedy scene of the 70s, co-stars Melissa Leo, Al Madrigal, Ari Grainer, and is under the executive producer tutelage of none other than Jim Carrey. How can you go wrong? Previous television credits for Eric include a recurring role on Star's comedy Blunt Talk with Patrick Stewart, Netflix's One Day at a Time, FX's You're the Worst, Fox's Bob Burgers, which I love, Arrested Development, which is incredible, and Nickelodeon's Harvey Breaks. On the big screen, he can be seen in a number of different things, including Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates and First Girl I Loved. Distinguished as a nationally touring comedian who headlines comedy clubs and colleges nearly every weekend, he is immortalized on his debut comedy album, Technical Foul, Volume 1, and his Comedy Central Presents half-hour stand-up special, which is really, really tremendous. Lastly, his hour specials have been tremendous. You might remember his first hour-long special, The Ugly Truth, which premiered on Showtime last July, and it was so successful that his new hour special just premiered this past month and is still on Showtime now called American Warrior. You should check it out. It's incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, a guy who it's very hard not to love. Please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Eric Griffin. <laughs> no, applause, no applause thing like a radio. <laughs> when I look at somebody, I always get a feeling for what I want to say first. And when I look at you, it's like the light and the darkness are smashed together. <laughs> and the light is fighting to come out and push all the darkness down i don't know maybe i just wear my emotions on my sleeve so maybe i you know being a stand-up comedian you've been around comedians for years you know there's always going to be a little level of dark there you know i think comedians are always like a like dawn you know where you could see that we it was just dark but then there's this light there so i think we live in that at all times i would say most comedians are like dusk you think the light is going down because you know that old yeah, expression it's always darkest before the dawn mm -hmm. but how many comedians do you know that don't say this the reason why I didn't do that is because stuff happened in my life. And all those rich comedians who have the money, they always get the big breaks. Oh, well, she slept with that person. That's the reason why I didn't get it. I think that people do that in all walks of life. Like, it doesn't, not just the entertainment business. I think we make excuses for the things that, that we lack, for our lack of work ethic, for our lack of, um, 
uh, vision and planning things out, and that's what happens. So it's, it's the glass half empty, half full scenario. So you looked at it as dusk. I looked at it as dawn because maybe I'm a little more hopeful than you. Well, that's why I said, that's what <laughs> yeah. I said. The light I get for it. you is I get overcoming it. the darkness. Yeah, that's what it is. But you've been into business so long that you're now <laughs> jaded. You know what I mean? You've caused some of the dusk. <laughs> I talked to Bill Burr. He's a good buddy of mine. I worked with Brian Volkweiss. I know. You know what? All the things people have said about you, I wouldn't believe it as I sit in front of you right now. You look like a you look like a, a great guy. Like you know, like a, what was the guy that did the Muppets? You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got a Jim Henson feel to him. You know what I mean? But he was the puppet master, right? So. Just, you know, no financial thing should be involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I still owe Bill Burr $75, apparently. That's a... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, comics, we hold a grudge. We don't forget anything. Oh, he crushed me. I loved it. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You talk about this profession being similar to all other professions in the same way and the same kind of people. So a dentist goes to school for dentistry. And if you had to guess out of every hundred people that go to school for dentistry, how many pass and become a dentist? Probably, probably a large percentage, I would think. That's right. And if you had to guess how many open mic comedians it's become low working comedians, how many would you say? Yeah, it's a very low percentage. Okay, so there's the first difference. The mm-hmm. second difference is this. Let's say you are a working dentist and you finish your degree and you go and you start a practice. It's very rare when you bring somebody into the chair where at the end of the exam or whatever you did, they said, listen, I am not going with you. You are not my dentist. But in comedy, I mean, how many times have you done an audition where you go on and they say, listen, the mustache, it's not really for me. Well, that happens a lot. (laughs) So, So what I'm saying is there's enormous amount of rejection in our profession, which you have to be mentally tough. You've been through the gamut. They always say, train the mind and your instrument will follow. And what's fascinating, and you talk a lot about this, and I hope you don't mind. Mm -hmm, Sorry. So I believe that your instrument, your acting instrument and your mind have been trained very, very well by you to be as efficient as possible as a working actor and be as efficient as possible as a stand-up. Yes, there are times when I've seen you go on at the store and you might do 12 minutes talking to the crowd. But that might be a way where you're just thinking, okay, if I can get 45 seconds out of this, a new bit out of this, this will be great. You're not doing it because you're not prepared. It's because of the flow. I would think so, but the thing is, You know, it's easy. If you compare our profession beat for beat, then it's not going to seem like it's the same as becoming a dentist. But I would venture to say that when you've become a dentist is when it becomes like our business, because now you're you're trying to be the best dentist. Like you're trying to be a dentist that makes a lot of money. You're trying to be dentist for the stars. You're trying to be a dentist that like only people that pay a lot of money come to you. So it becomes, that's where it becomes more similar where you're trying to, you're, you're competing in this very competitive field where there are people who might be more talented than you, but they, maybe they're in the know with something else. You know, it it just, it, it just becomes this like, it becomes this fight for survival, and I think every profession at some point has that. 
Now, for me, I've had to like I've always have to have villains. I've always had to have a villain in my life in, in the entertainment business. And I think it started the, the the being able to deal with rejection started with like trying to get with women. I think men we should thank every girl in grammar school that said no to us is like, hey, thank you for preparing me for all the auditions that I'm going to go on and they're going to say no. <laughs> you know, that was the preparation for that. And so then you come now, now look, look at me later. I've always felt like I've, it wasn't going to go well for me. I always felt I wasn't good looking enough. I always felt like, a, you know, I was too ethnic or people didn't know what I was. And so I had to have that thing to strive for. So I felt always felt like I had to be funny. I always felt like I had didn't have the luxury to like – not work hard and it's been a steady rise from the whole time I've never had like my huge break it's always been like oh I got this little thing then that little thing then if I look back on it I go oh man I've been going up I'm on a steady slope rising up and make a couple dips and then it just keeps coming up going up going up going down going up going down going up but I feel like a steady rise along the way so I've, I've had to be like that what are some of the things that you feel have derailed you mentally or the distractions or the things in the world that take people down where something happens where you feel like you're in quicksand and you just can't get out? I never feel like I can't get out. I think if the moment you feel like that, then that's when you should quit whatever you're trying to do. I've never felt like I couldn't make it. I just felt like there was a lot of obstacles to make it. And then I would look around and be like, these people have it easier. But instead of Instead of looking at that and being like, like, oh, they only want white people, you know, that's the kind of thing people might think. Then that would that would hold me back. Then I would say, if they only want white people, then what? I won't have any chance. No, I'm trying to. I always thought I'm trying to convince people that whatever part that I could still be right for it, right? So then I just go out there like, hey, this is maybe I'll change your mind. That's what I always think I'm doing. I'm just trying to change people's mind. But I've always felt like I've had some obstacles. Like when I was on Workaholics, you know, on Comedy Central, I never was able to get a half hour till like four or five seasons in, you know, and I always thought, God, I'm not going to get a half hour special. Why am I not? I'm on your show. I'm on your network. So I was like, somebody doesn't like me. That's how I always looked at it. I was like, well, is there somebody there that doesn't think I'm funny? And this business is a matter of preference. You know, you're a manager. It's a matter of preference. You may not. So what? I don't think this person's funny. And then. It's your preference. So the same thing with a network. A network is just like a comedy club. There's a booker and an owner, and that person has to think you're funny. So whoever's in charge of that, they just maybe didn't think I was good enough, and I just looked at it like that, and I was like, well, I have to just prove that person wrong. As a manager, one of the biggest challenges for me, and I've been through what you're saying, where you have somebody on a network, and then they don't give you the special. There's a few ways to handle it. Number one is not do anything and wait until they finally change their mind or mm-hmm. you change their mind. The second way to do it as a manager is to go to the top because normally the person at the top, the president, doesn't know yeah. what the decisions that these people are doing. But then if you go to the top with somebody and they get the hour special, then every executive there, even though they're smiling at you, they're shaking your hand, they're thanking you, deep down they want to be in a situation where they don't want to support you ever again because you have made them look bad to the president of the Right, network. right, right. Like, you, yeah, you skipped a step. So when you manage people, there's a stain that can go with you if you do the job that your artist wants you to do. And I've done it many, many times where one of the things I think that I've been known for, if I work with somebody, my goal is to get you to your destination 
as quickly as possible. You give me the bucket list you have, and I'm going to check off every box. Whether the world thinks you're ready or not, if you think you're ready and I think you can handle it, then I'm going to get you there. But there's collateral damage along yeah, the way. That's the, and that's the, th- the stuff people come on and talk about, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But that's, but that's your job. Like, I, I never want to hear, you know what's funny about that is I never want to hear like a club owner or someone tell me, oh, you're a manager. What a nice guy. Like, then I go, something's wrong. I don't. I want you to fear that guy. Wasn't it Don Henley? He was in some Rolling Stone interview, and they said, "What do you think about your manager, Irving Azoff? What do you think about people call him the Midget Devil?" <laughs> and they paused and says, "Yeah, but he's our Midget Devil." Exactly. He's the devil you love. He's the, the devil on your side. I feel that's why. I mean, hey, you know, but you put a, you you you're mentally equipped for that. Not everybody's equipped to deal with being hated you know not everybody can deal with that you're okay with people going like i don't like you then it's like a line from the show it's like heavy that wears the heavy the head that wears the crown right i don't worry about it because if people understand the nature of certain things about the business as a manager if i'm wearing the manager hat my job is to serve you my job is to work for you. My job is to spit blood for you. And if you want something a certain way and it's going to ruffle some feathers, I can let you know, hey, this is going to ruffle some feathers. And they might say, listen, I don't give a shit. That's your problem. I want you to do this and I want you to make it happen. And I think I, my manager's got a little bit of that in him. He does. Yeah. He probably has a lot of that in him, actually, because I remember I was going to do this uh, show. It was a, a, a show, a stand-up show for TV, and the guy that run it, I knew him personally, so he hit me up about it, and I said, well, here's my manager, and then he called me back, and he was just like, man, this isn't going to work. I don't like how your manager was talking to me, and he was going on. He was so mad at me, and I said, well, maybe it's not going to work this time. I'm sorry, but then he called me back later, and I, I got the job at the money that my, you know, so you need, you need, a, you got to have a little bit of that, right? And the thing about the world, the way it is today, and what's hard for managers and their artists, your manager is Etai, Etai Rice. Oh, fantastic! From artists first, they changed from PYE. Fantastic! <laughs> yeah, he's great. You're, you're, he's my little bulldog. You're a very lucky man. I've been with him for a long time too. Uh, we, we met. I remember we met in Montreal in 2008. But what's great about what you did and your relationship is both of you started looking each other in the eye in the business, his career and your career, close to the same trajectory. So you guys have risen together in business. I feel like that. The toughest part is, and you see managers all the time where they are at a certain level eye to eye and then the client skyrockets but they don't rise mm-hmm. with the artist and that can be dangerous well we've come we've gone yeah like i said when i first met him he was just an agent you know we met in montreal we had this great conversation i was a little older at that time too to know that you had to cultivate relationships like you can't just see someone as a commodity every single time you might be able to see someone and be like you know what i can get something out of this person or or it, it will benefit me being in a relationship with this person but that can't be your only motivation you know you have to have some sort of like so we, we connected you know we talked about the clippers i remember that we were having a great time talking about basketball then a year later i saw him at the comedy store and he was like hey i'm a manager now and i needed a manager I went in and met with him and I was like, oh, this is, there's something, there's something here, you know? And then we've been together ever since, you know, it's like 10 years now. Hey everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. 
whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I wanna tell you about a great product called Boku Superfoods. I just got back from Ohio and met with the owners of the company and I was just incredibly blown away by it. They have the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. It's just in these incredible powders where you just add any liquid you want, water, make smoothies. It's just so good and so healthy. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people all over the world and I'm confident it'll change your life. So much so that I worked out an unbelievable deal with the owners. You'll be able to get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. All you gotta do is pay minimal shipping and you can join the Boku Love Life Loyalty Team. Just go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. As you know, a lot of the things in the past that used to happen for artists, it solely fell on the manager or the agent to break open every door and kick down everything and get in there and do whatever. Now, a lot of times what happens is, and I'm sure you notice this, which is difficult, you'll get a text from somebody or an email. Hey, listen, we're doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And then you get that job. Perfect example is I'm dying up here. Okay, so this is a situation where Jim Carrey, from my recollection, you can correct me if I'm wrong, he comes into the comedy store. A lot of people don't understand what's happening. Some people think he's going on. And, yeah, it was a random two. And they're going to get bumped, you know what I mean? And yeah. said, you might have been one of those people, I believe. But he's actually looking for people for the show. You go on and you find out that they want you. Yeah. Normally, when somebody says they want you, they want you, but they might still put you through the paces. Your manager, obviously, now their job, you give it to them. Okay, follow up on this. Get me the information for this. Please, when they set up this audition, make it sure it's right. And then when the deal is ready to be done, you utilize your manager, your agent, and your lawyer to negotiate the deal. In the case of I'm dying up here, the tough part with some of those deals are when you have three people that are around the same level, sometimes the network wants to keep it all the same. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to, you know, I learned a long time ago that you're not supposed you never. you just never talk about money with even, I don't care how close you are. I don't care how close you guys are. Never, ever say, well, you know, I'm making this amount. Un unless 
the group collectively is going to be like, hey, we should go in and negotiate together. But that is the only time. I still don't know what everybody else makes. You'd think there's only one reason why a you lot don't talk about money. But the two major reasons are, I'll give you the two scenarios. Hey, God, I can't believe I'm getting 25000 an yeah. episode for this shit. Then one side is the person says, Twenty-five thousand. I'm only making twenty. I did an ABC show. <laughs> running down your credits I and mean, your I've resume. Got more credits than you, whatever. <laughs> but the other side of the coin is, he says, I'm making twenty-five thousand episodes. Isn't that great? Oh, that's weird. I'm making thirty-five thousand. And by the way, I don't care how close you are with the person. Your first call is to your agent and manager. <laughs> that's right. The hell is he making more money than me for? That's that's what happens. So you just not. I, I can I tell you a quick story. Well, I did this movie. Horrible. The running title was Fatties. It was Revenge of the Nerds, but fat kids. All right. They, they since changed it to bringing down the house, but it never came out. All right. Anyways, I'm on set with these kids and I say, well, I had a choice. It was it was on the, the, the leads of the movie. These three fat kids and a couple girls. So I say, uh, yeah, well, I had a choice between this and a Nickelodeon show, and I chose this. And they were like, why would you do that? The money was probably better over there. And I was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm getting such and such per day. Every face in the room dropped, you know, and the lead of the movie looks at me and says, yeah, we're only getting $100 a day. And I was like, oh, uh, ah, um, oh, man, I didn't know what, and I knew right then and there I said, oh, you're not supposed to ever say <laughs> how much money you're making on a set, ever. That's you know? the equivalent of going up to a woman who appears to be pregnant and yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. what's oh. it going to be, a boy or a girl? I'm, I'm not, not pregnant. pregnant. Exactly. But, you know, the thing about the relationship between manager and agent is, like, one thing that frustrates me as a comedian is, you know, we're we're kind of like, you know, we're pseudo-psychologists in a way. Like, we read people, you know, we're truth tellers, and we kind of, we, we, we observe the human condition. And when a manager or agent is clearly lying to me, I can't stand that, even if it's for good intentions. Like, I always had to say, I'm a grown-ass man. If they don't like me because they don't think I'm funny or they said, well, they think you're too fat, I want to know. Me, personally, I want to know. Now, I know that you deal with a lot of people that don't want to know that, okay? I want to know. And I can't stand, like I always say, if you're going to lie, be good at it. But if you're not good at it, then let's straight talk. So tell our audience the last time a representative lied to you and you caught them. I'm not going to say the last time, but I'm going to say a few times. One time actually was in, I was in, uh, I was in New Faces, you know, and my manager, after the show, he comes up to me, he says, great set, man. He's saying New Faces in Montreal. In Montreal. New Faces, it was a new, it was like your, I was in New Faces and my manager at the time was like, man, you did a great job, right? Later, I'm in the van headed back to the hotel with the other comics and uh, one of the comics says, hey man, yeah, your manager was asking how you did. Oh. You know, and I, he said, "Yeah, yeah." He walked in like you weren't, th you weren't, you had already left stage. So I went to him and I was like, "He, he had bigger clients there, right?" And he had come to me and said, "Hey, man, I couldn't make it because I had to go to what you call it." I get it. You know what I mean? But to say that to me like that, it made me feel like, "Oh, wow, you're just, you're trying to like glad hand me. You're trying to make me feel like this is a like like I don't need that." I think I want some straight talk. I've had an agent. I had the agent. I, I had to fire. <laughs> he he's telling me the same story three times, and every single time he's telling it to me different. 
I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, and I don't like, sometimes I don't like to, I don't like to tip my hand. You know, I just like, okay, I just, I know that this is a lie right now. Like, like another time I had this agent, I, I, I got like a, this New Year's gig at this club, you know, and it was, it was, it was horrible money, you know? So I say to him, I go, I go, well, why don't you, I said, I don't want to do it for this amount. And then he says, all right, but look, he, I go, well, then let's say no. I said, let's say no. He goes, they're not going to renegotiate. He said this to me. They're not going to renegotiate, <laughs> right? And then he says, I go, okay, well, say no. And he says, well, um, well, why don't we ask for 500 more? I said, you just said they're not going to renegotiate. Who am I negotiating with, me or you? <laughs> am, I, am I negotiating with the club or am I negotiating with my agent? <laughs> you tell me. So then I gave him just a number. I said, okay, ask for this amount, right? He calls me back and, he, and they gave me, $1,000 more than that amount. And I know what happened. He called them and asked for that amount, and they probably just said, sure, because he was going to negotiate down. You get it? So let's say the amount's 11000 and he went and asked for twelve, and then they said, and he said, okay, twelve. And I was so mad about that. And I was like, we're just not negotiating in good faith sometimes. I just get, don't get mad. I get mad about this because it's like I think there's a, a lack of honesty in uh, in 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 your profession, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because you're treating all your clients like your girlfriend, you know what I mean? And and like, do I look fat today? And you're gonna be like, no, baby. When you know this bitch looks fat, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think that the one thing I will say, and every single person will attest to is that I am not a yes person. That's probably why I've been fired as many times as I have. You know that I did my, my special that's coming out with uh, Dynamics, Comedy Dynamics. Of course, I started Comedy Dynamics. I know, and Brian, and I, and I, you know, I heard a lot of things. I know a lot of comics. Uh-huh. A lot of comics came to me, and they were just, I said, hey, what about this? You know, it's like, oh, that, you know, people always have things to say. So I went in, and I said, Brian, <laughs> I... I have to ask, why are people saying that you're a crook? You know, I had to ask him these things. I said, why are people saying these things about you, these disparaging things? Man, he was so emotional, you know, and we had this great conversation and he really was telling me his side of the story, which I don't think he was able ever to say to somebody in that sort of setting. And, you know, when I was done with it, I was like, I like this guy and I think he's going to do right by me. And I think that I know as a comic how sensitive comedians can be. And, 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 you know, we don't get our way and then we blame someone else. That's just an artist way sometimes. And so I took that into account and then we did this. I did it with him and he was great. And, you know, I had a great experience with him. You know what I mean? And I think he would tell you himself the things he learned from me were not those kind of things. He didn't learn he was always a pile driver. He was yeah. always a type triple A guy who He just you know, lacked some finesse. When he walked is what it is. Yeah, when he walked through the hall, you could always hear his footsteps yeah. coming. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I to, this is one of the things I told him. I said, you know, I, I, I go, why did why did somebody tell me that you you know you give kickbacks to the agents and managers? He was so insulted by this. He was like, that has got to go with the untruth. I will put that in the contract. But now every time I see him, he makes a joke about this. Like every time, last time I saw him, he like, he poked his head in when I was working on the editing of the special, he poked his head in and goes, hey man, and then he came all the way in and he had a hundred dollar bills taped to himself, (laughs) oh, this is for the kickbacks, you know, and I was like, okay, dude, the guy beats a dead horse, you know what I mean? But I had to talk to him myself, I had to look him in the eye and be like, hey, I heard this, can you tell me your side? Because why would I work with someone if somebody says, you know, 
You know what I mean? Like, if you wanted to manage me, I'd be like, hey, why, why do people say these things and what's your side of it? And, and if, it, if it sounds fishy to me, then I'm like, I'm out. I think if Bill Burr were sitting here, I believe that he would say that he has love for me. He does he have love. That, and Obviously. He knows, and he knows what I can do, what I have done in my career, just like I know what he's exactly. done in his career. But sometimes certain marriages they don't work. work that doesn't mean he's a bad comedian or i'm a bad manager right for brian i think what's really interesting about him is i think it was more of a yin yang and i think anybody who worked with us would tell you there was a good cop and a bad cop mm-hmm. and that was the relationship that it was and he did some amazing things for me he always made things happen he did everything i wanted him to do and and, and more he was supportive all, all the whole way and i think he also because of our conversation i think he went out of his way to be like well i don't want to have this perception anymore so let me do whatever i can to make sure that this is okay you know when you're a business guy when you're a money guy when you're a bottom line guy too sometimes that clashes with uh, the artist's behavior you know because the just sees a certain thing, but they don't understand that, hey, this can't be paid for this way. So you need somebody to finesse that. That's what some your manager is supposed to do. They're supposed to finesse things. And that's why it's easy to to tell white lies. That's why it's easy to, you know, make sure you're making somebody feel good. You're 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 stroking somebody's ego because it's needed. In my case, I feel like, look, I when I when I started in this game, I was older. And so I knew I felt like the Boston Celtics when they had Garnett. And Way Allen, they had a limited window. I always felt like that. I got a limited window to win this championship. So I need some straight talk. And I need to attack this a certain way. So I come like that with people, and I think that it lends itself for a good relationship if you have that mentality to deal with it. Hey, everybody. I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher, it has a press button, where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies, it takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too, I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry. that's B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll immediately get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry, and you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again.
ABC decided to work with Roseanne again. Mm-hmm. And they knew the risks of working with Roseanne. They knew her lane. They know how she approaches things. The two things they know are, number one, is there any comedy artist we know in television that is universally right about how they know to present themselves where America rallies around them and loves them. And she's fired so many people on staff. She's created so much turmoil. But she fired Matt Williams after 13 episodes who created the show. But the fact is she backed it up because she knew what America wanted. Tom Werner wasn't even allowed on the set. Marcy Carsey wasn't even allowed on the set. But she backed it up, except for maybe the last year where they won the lottery. If maybe if Roseanne was sitting here, she'd say maybe they went a little off the tracks there. <laughs> but basically, in the 13 seasons, including a new one or 12 seasons, I would say 95% of her choices, America loved. So we all know what the story was. ABC chose to be in business with her again. Something happened. And you can't be surprised because that's the way it is. So when you work with somebody who, let's say, has a reputation, there's a chance that that's going to come out again. Unless you're the type of person like yourself who has the emotional tools in his toolbox to cover every angle and get in their head. When Brian came in that office with the $100 bills taped to him, that's a sign that you have done your job. You got inside of his head and you got him thinking and he's constantly thinking about how he can make an impact on you and how he can prove to you that he's not what anybody says. And he did. And he did. He did. he kicked ass and he made it happen for you. He did. But I think even Brian, if he were here, would say that has a lot to do with you too. It's not that he wouldn't have done a great job. You created a great relationship from the beginning, whereas other people go into it and they're like, hey, I'm just going to let my manager agent handle Mm -hmm. it. It's like what we said before. You didn't send Itai into the fire to meet with Brian. You needed to have a face-to-face. And they knew too. Brian and Matt over at CAA, which is one of my agents, you know, he's Matt Blake. He, Matt Blake. Matt, they told Brian, hey, Eric's going to come in, so be ready. <laughs> you know, and I just want to say, he was so, Brian was so emotional. He really was. He was like, because finally, yeah, he was like, you know, he just telling his side of the story. And I just saw somebody that was like, oh, you really care about what you do. But just caring about what you do sometimes is not, not enough. So he, uh, he brought the best out of me, and I think I brought the best out of him. And that's the kind of relationship you need when, when these in, with agents, producers. And, and I think that's what's lacking. And this thing about, like, what Roseanne, what you're talking about, I think that social media, you know, people aren't as – people will never be as famous as they were before because of social media. You know, there's the, the, the mystery is gone and we know too much about people. There's no we don't put people on pedestals anymore because we're going to knock them off right away with all this facts and information that we learned. I think if Michael Jackson, for instance, was around right now, I don't think he would have been as famous. Oh, I don't think OJ, I don't think that OJ thing would have happened the way it happened where he was so famous that he was signing autographs to pay for his, you know, uh, law bills at the time. That's why there's one comedian in the business that will always garner the most respect of any other comic in the business. There's him, 
and there's everybody else based on two things that he's done that no other comedian in the world would think about doing. What's that? Who's it not being on social media? <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Yeah. No social media, turned down $50 million. Do you know anybody <laughs> in the world in your profession that would turn down $500,000? Yeah. yeah, Monique. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that you can't believe that somebody believes in their art form so strongly that they realize that they don't need it. He can sell out Madison Square Garden in an hour mm -hmm. and with not even an ad, not even any social media, just word of mouth. He can turn down money, and what happens? He turned down fifty million. He got a deal for sixty million ten years later. I mean, I that you know that's one of our giants in the game. But I believe there's a reason that you do have one of the qualities of his. I would say very strongly. Is, you see how they, he just did manager speak me right now. <laughs> uh -huh. You tell the truth on stage, and that's the thing that I find that so few comedians do if you look at your specials if you look at them and you really analyze them take a hundred percent pie how much of those specials are not your truth right right i know what you're saying i mean it's like you know you exaggerate on some things but i felt like how i feel about it like how i feel about what i'm talking about or the point of view i'm taking about how i'm talking about it even if it's a hundred percent real situation that is the truth and that's what i feel is important I think from its core level, you as a person, you feel like your role is to just, in the end, to entertain the people and be an instrument for goodwill to make them feel better about their day and the audience is there and they're there to be entertained. Yes, I do feel that way. But then on the other side of the coin, with these two specials, I feel like a lot of the material some people in the audience might construe it as not being entertaining as it is. This is a little political. This is a little, you know, I came here on a Friday. I want to get the stuff off my mind. He's talking about Trump or he's talking about these issues that have to do with different things and how he feels about them. That's a little heavy for me. So which is it? I think you're there. Sometimes I feel like we're there to talk about certain issues in an entertaining way and because of social media because of uh you know things being able to be heard all over the place you know you're, you're going to reach people that don't agree with you and that's what the point of this is also to find your audience because your core audience they're going to pretty much agree with you so they're going to come out and support your point of view so i don't have a core audience yet I'm still out there trying to find what my audience is. You know, I don't, I'm racially ambiguous, so I can't hold on to one race where people are like, oh, that's our guy. You know, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm male. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a different, I can't, I haven't found the audience yet, so I'm still working on it. That's what I'm working on now. And so, it's, yeah, so in this last special, even in my first special, I have some things where you might go, whoa, I don't know if I, I agree with that or, ooh, why'd you say that? But it, it is what it is. And in this one right now, I feel like because there's so many specials out there, it's just content. And I and and there are a lot of important things going on in the world. And, you know, I, I think that I, here's my take on it. Hey, who agrees with me? That's what this special has become now. Here's my take. What do you guys think? So there's some people, like you're saying, who are going to be like, ah, I just want to laugh and have fun. And there's other people that are like, oh, I really like how you, how you approached that subject. 
That's all I want. When you were starting off in comedy and you started watching people in the clubs as you were coming up, when you said to yourself, I'd like that kind of career, who was it? For me, it was Eddie Murphy. It was Eddie Murphy for sure. I was watching, and ironically, it was when I was watching Raw. I was watching the movie Raw, and I was just watching what he was doing, and I felt some pain in what he was doing. Like he was talking about, you know, you could tell that he was mad about a divorce, and and a, and a little, and, a, and, a, and had a chip on his shoulder about his fame, and and things that and things that might have been happening in his life. And so the way he was approaching it, there was a sort of honesty to it, and at the same time, he was super entertaining. He could do voices and act outs, and you felt like you were there with him. He was creating a scene that you filled in the gaps in your head with, with the information. And I, I, I admired that, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do what he's doing. I always wanted to do that. So he'll always be my major influence. I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking, environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me and it'll work for you. You mentioned something, two words that I love. I always thought to myself, I hope he does a special with this title. And you said the title. What's that? Racially ambiguous. <laughs> There's something about you that is always like, people don't know I will. You know, I know. Like, I didn't know either. I, I don't, know, I, I, oh, I don't yeah. think we've even, like, I don't think we've said two words to each other in, like, you know, just maybe in the hallway, and I'll be like, hey, and then someone would be like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Barry Katz. And I'm like, who? That, really? That's who that is? You know, I wouldn't have even known. The guy who looks like Vincent from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. But after he let himself go a little bit. <laughs> I just, you know, I do watch. Okay, that's I good. I do watch them, and I think to myself, one of the questions I always ask, Ask myself as I'm driving home, and I know what you're saying. But is he, th is he thinking about me? What yeah. I do? no, no, I what? get it. 
But I love comedy. I'm like a savant when it comes to comedy. And people might say, well, he doesn't know this or isn't. But in our business, you do one thing. It's a fluke. You do two things. You're lucky. You do three things. Ah, it's a coincidence. (laughs) But if you do something over and over again, then the world is telling you, well, maybe you. That's how I feel about my acting career. Yeah. Every time I get on another show, I'm like, well, maybe I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, of course. I drive home and I think to myself, why does he not address and what is it that's bothering him about it? I guess that- it does bother me. I, I have a line in some, some material I used to do. I used to say, like, people want to know what you are so they can know how to hate you. You know, they want to know what box they can put you in. They want to know, like, well, if you're this, then you're allowed to say you're allowed to say this thing. If you're that, you're you're allowed to say this. Like, you know, when you, when people know things about you, then they 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 then they say, okay, well, he's a male, this this this, so he can only talk about these things. And if you talk about these other things, and you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna be put down, you're gonna be shunned. You like, oh, you can't, oh, you can't say racial things because you're not that race or whatever it is. And so I just thought, I just thought, hey, you want to know what I am? I'm funny. Your first influence in the business who you idolize never thought that way Eddie I know I know but but a part of the thing too is that he, he embraced who he, he, could, was. he could he couldn't but but I feel like I'm embracing who I am by not categorizing myself you know I feel like cuz that's who I am I'm I I am like it depends on who I'm with if I'm with if I'm when I'm in New York there are some people that think I'm Puerto Rican you know, I have people that think I'm Jewish. I have people that think like you have, you could be Italian. I have people that, you know, when I'm, people think I'm Drake's father. You know what I mean? There's like a whole lot of like different a mixture. So I wish I could define it. But, and I think that I, I'm representing like what we're going to end up looking like. You know, I'm sorry to say to people. <laughs> Complexion wise, I'm saying. So, you know, that's what it is. And I guess I do have a chip on my shoulder about it because there's so much like specialized, you know, this is the Asian comic, and he's from this place, and all his Asian fans come out for him, or whatever it is. You know, if it's a female, or it's like you know, you know, whatever, whatever. The, the people have a niche, and I guess in in all the years I've been doing this, I'm still trying to find my niche. You know, and that translates to like, I guess a niche translates to money. Before you started comedy, were you racially ambiguous? Yes. Uh, yeah, I was. This is this is something I felt even as myself because I went to school many different types of schools. I I went to school where it was all white kids. I've experienced where like and when you're around all white kids, when I was coming up, looking the way I look, there's no like there's no like when I'm with say v- very dark skinned people, they might look at me and be like, oh well, you 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 acting like you white, right? But then like the white kids, they know I'm not white, so they're not treating me any better. So I always had this experience of like, you know, I, I wasn't like everyone else. I just didn't fit in. Is Ralph racially ambiguous and I'm dying up here? I think they, I think that I went when I, the Tuesday night that Jim Carrey and the crew came to the comedy store to you know, look for comics. And I think Michael Aguilar, one of the producers, when he saw me on stage, he made me Ralph. I think they wanted something different for Ralph, and I convinced them for me to do it. And I think that, so then, therefore, Ralph isn't racially ambiguous. Ralph is just a light-skinned black guy, you know? But Eric Griffin, me, that's that's not all that I am. 
But do you feel like when the audiences come to see you in comedy clubs and theaters now, there's more of an influx of African-American people to come see you because that's the character you play and people don't understand that you're an actor? No, because you have the people that have showtime are older. Um, it's older people. Uh, they, you know, because if you have Showtime, you have to have money. You're, you're, when you call the cable, you're like, give me everything. I want epics. I want Cinemax. I want Showtime. You know, most people are just like they only got one of those. They got HBO, and then they watch everything else on Netflix and Hulu. So I think that the the Showtime crowd, I've, it's a mix. It's a, just a mix of people who are they, they got they got a little extra. They got some disposable income. So those are all types of people. Is Montez racially ambiguous? Yes, Montez is racially ambiguous, even though, and they make fun of it. You know, they make fun of it on the shows, like, even though it's still more of an ethnic guy. I remember when I went out for the audition for that, there was like so many different types of people there. They were like, they were like traditionally black guys, and there were all these Latino guys. And so, you, you know, you get everything with me. <laughs> you know, one of the things that somebody described as part of the team here who works on the show, in your opinion, how would you describe Uh-oh, here we go. Montez? <laughs> and they said, a combination of John Witherspoon from Friday and Steve Urkel. <laughs> what would you hey, think about that? You know you know what? I it's, That's, to me, to, to look at the good side of it is like, yeah, it's just this outrageous character that just stood out. You know, and that's what it was. You know, I, I when I read when I read that script for Workaholics, I was like, one, this isn't gonna last. But I really wanted to play that character. Why didn't you think it wasn't gonna last? Because nothing lasts on TV, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why these executives, if if it, if television executives, if it was like sports, if you're three for fifteen for three years in a row, you're fired. You know what I mean? But these people get promoted in the entertainment business, you know? They put out all these pilots. None of them are good. And, you know, they occasionally get picked up, but they keep making all these shows. So I didn't think it was going to get picked up. It was a little weird show. But I, I enjoyed, like, the lines for this character was like, wow, this is they're going to say this on TV? And I was so ready. I really prepared for that. It was great. I remember walking into the, the first audition, and I remember the, I remember the casting director. After I did what I did, she who looked, was the casting. It director? was um, wait, who was the original casting? Uh, Alyssa uh, uh, Weisenberg. Okay. You know, yeah, she was there at the original time. But I remember I did it, and she looked at her partner, and she went, "Okay, I like that." Like, because it was like I know I did, it, I know I did it differently than everyone else. You know, and then I remember I saw Adam Devine. He hates when I tell this story, by the way. He's, he hates this. But I saw him at the Brea Improv a week before I auditioned. And he just just young kid. You know, I didn't know when anything was going on with him. I didn't know he was in production for a sh he had a show that was his show. You know, and I'm telling him, like, keep doing. You know what? I like what you're doing, kid. <laughs> you know, I think you're going to make it in this business. I had that kind of like attitude with him. And then I walked into the callback and I see him sitting there. And my first thought was like, oh, wow, look at him trying to intern, you know, <laughs> still trying to be in. A I thought he was just there learning or something. Come to find out later, my manager is all like uh, the assistant, one of the assistants was like, yeah, so you're going out for that Divine show again for producers. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, that's Adam's show. And I was like, wow, I did not know that, you know, which was probably better for me, like just to go in like, it's always better to like not know what's going on and just do, just be as original as you can. 
But I love. I always love. I always love that time. On you know the story behind how that show came about. Yes, and it's like it's so. I mean, it is what it is. You know, those guys, those other guys, they're off someplace with their money. <laughs> but the internal network story. You know, that's no, no. What's the, let me hear this? There was a young man who was an assistant at Comedy Central. He'd been an assistant for a while, and what's his name? He ended up over at. Uh... At Cartoon Network. He ended up at Cartoon Network, yeah. 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 He, I, and when I met him, he said, he, I met him one time when I went to an audition for an, uh, for Adult Swim. And he was like, you know, he, he gave me like a, you know, I'm the reason for workaholics. <laughs> yeah, he was an assistant and he was constantly giving ideas and things to the person that was across from his desk who he was working for. And then one time he had a date and they blew him off and he stayed and he looked through the internet and found clips of the these boys guys they're doing their sketch show and instead of giving the dvd that he burned just to his boss he burned about 12 or 15 of them and put them on every executive's desk around oh wow company. and he was never in a cubicle again good for him but he but like like i say being on workaholics is great because it's like to be on somebody's favorite show i mean this is kids still to this day and now that they put it on like Hulu and, you know, people are finding it for the first time, they're still hitting me up just like, oh, man, I love this show that you're on. You know, they just, they, it just, it just, it speaks to that generation. And so I always have that. When you do a live performance somewhere. Like I just Chicago. did a show, I just did a show in Naples, Florida okay, a couple months back. So what percentage of the audience are from which factions of your career? This is something that I'm dealing with right now that is very, it's a very, it's very challenging, by the way. I'll never forget this. I'm in Naples, Florida at this like club. It's like a red lobster. You know, it's the worst. You know what I mean? And um, there's. It's the late show. It's, a, it's only show on Sunday. It's a little early. Why are you working clubs that look like a red lobster? Because I'm a junkie for this. You know, I don't turn down things. I love doing shows. But can't you do the club that's next door that's the nicer one? Man, who are you telling? Can you call Itai? <laughs> I'm going to get my ass handed to me. Yeah. Can you call my agent? Matt Blake is going to crush me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah get on Matt Blake's me. ass. call me and say, what the fuck's <laughs> happening here? Matt and Justin and Andy, those are my CAA No, because one of the things that some people do sometimes, and I'm not suggesting you do this. Here we go. I'm getting there. This is it, everybody. This is how this is how he steals me away. <laughs> Look out, Itai. <laughs> In the 250 episodes I've done, I've never stolen anybody away, and I don't think I'm capable of stealing anybody away. From a Just ten, not on camera. Ten, <laughs> good thing that's possible. Some people, it could be argued that you're not buying islands in the Caribbean, but it could be argued that you're not worried about if you're going to be able to pay the rent next month. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. One of the things I was thinking that might be interesting for you, and maybe you guys have thought about it, but is if there's a place somewhere that you know people always love you, you rent out the place. But I like Walmart. having a relationship with the comedy clubs. See, I think that I don't think that's good for the business sometimes. You know, I think that I, yes, if you get it's not so good big, to be an entrepreneur. No, I'm not saying that. I think that that we're it's a symbiotic relationship that we have with the the comedy clubs. You know, they're 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 in these towns. They they're building a fan base with the people. That, you know, they have a relationship with the people that they're going to give a good show and and the comics come through. And I think that we're in business together. I know I'm the only only one that thinks like this, but you know. Do you think comedy clubs steal from you? 
Yeah, sometimes I think that they do. I think that I don't think we're in a good business relationship, and this is the reason why comics go crazy. This is when you hear about a comic who has to has has a weird writer who has like you know I need to get green M and M's and I need to get all these things. It's because of how they were treated when they were coming up, and I yes I do think that there's a weird relationship right now that needs to be fixed in the comedy business. I think that like social media has taken over where comedy clubs think this is the only way to promote. It's as if they weren't in business for thirty years before social media and being very successful so they've forgotten how to promote i think they're lazy i think that that they don't work hard enough and i think that the comics even themselves you know have to like do their part but it should be something that we should be doing together there should be some kind of comedy summit where we get together and go how can we fix our business so now we got these social media kids with no act are coming in selling the place out which is all they care about and then now what's that what's our business going to look like in 10 years you know, who are the kids that are going to be coming up? They don't pay the features enough. They don't care about the comedy itself. They don't care about it as an art form. It's just strictly a business. And I'm not saying that you can't look at the business part of it, but there has to be a better relationship between managers, club owners, and the comics themselves. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just want to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniaturized countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately it'll turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. Get $100 off when you go to industrystandard.com and type in the promo code Barry. Start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. And you'll save tons of money a year like I have and never buy another bottle of water again. Also, amazing documentary called I Killed JFK centering on the only living person in history who ever admitted to killing John F. Kennedy. Go to IKilledJFK.com, buy the film, and you also get the rare interviews with five of the last living JFK assassination experts, and I guarantee you it'll change the way you think of the world. The Air Doctor, the groundbreaking portable air purification system, which will change your home environment and overall life for the better. The Air Doctor instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating through your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. I got one of these systems, and I'm telling you, it's truly incredible. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And finally, Boku Superfood, the purest, most potent, and delicious superfood blends on the planet. Certified organic, kosher, and vegan, Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries. And I'm so confident it'll change your life that I worked out an incredible deal with the company. Get a full week's worth of Boku Superfood for free. Just pay the minimal shipping. Go to tryboku.com and experience the difference of how it makes you look and feel. And you will understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. 
As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in. Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.